We're on part three of our series that we've been going through on patience and persistence and peace of mind. I saw a cartoon of this guy. He was an executive. He was, everything was gloomy. He looked gloomy. He was at a cocktail party is what it looked like. But he had a name tag on and it said, contents under pressure. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that's you? That's me. I feel like that's my name, contents under pressure. I have so much stress in my life, I don't know what to do. Stress is costing America millions of dollars. It costs businesses millions of dollars because of the amount of people that can't show up to work because of illness due to stress, uh, lower production because of stress. And that doesn't take into account how it affects the individual that's stressed out by work and everything, how their confidence gets eroded, how it adds stress in their marriage, how it sometimes leaves their jobs in ashes. They lose their jobs, you know, because of the stress that they are going through and they can't seem to get through it. Today we'll use the word burnout. You know, I'm just burned out. Have you ever felt that way? I am just so burned out. I thought, what exactly does that mean? We all say that. It's something that came from uh, when they started sending the rockets. The term became popular when they started sending the rockets up and the rocket eventually burns out. And somehow that phrase got turned into a, a saying that we say about how I feel about things. Dr. Herbert Frutenberger said this. Here's what he said burnout is. A state of emotional frustration, so emotionally I'm frustrated, brought about by a devotion to, so I'm devoted to this cause, or it says a lifestyle, or a relationship that failed to produce the expected reward. So I'm emotionally just at the end. Like I, I, I want to give up because I devoted myself to this, whatever the cause is, whatever the thing is, and it ended up being bad. Like, it ended up going sour, and it causes what we call burnout, which means you, don't feel, you feel like giving up. I want to quit my job. I want to end this relationship. I want to, you know, you're at the point of, you just don't want it anymore. You burned out. So today, I want to look at burnout, what causes it, what makes us get burned out, and what's the cure? And there is a cure to burnout. Even though the term is a new term, but... People have been burning out for years and years and years. 3,000 years ago, ago there's a guy named Elijah, and he was totally feeling burned out. In James 5:17, it says, Elijah was a person just like us. Sometimes he was one of those few prophets that actually performed miracles. See, people think, oh, in the Bible, uh, look at all the miracles the prophets did. Be careful not to say that because it's going to show that you don't read the Bible. <laughs> uh, uh, Moses did a lot of miracles. Elijah and Elisha did a lot of miracles. Jesus and the disciples did a lot of miracles. You look in between those guys, it wasn't that they were faithful to God. God would do a miraculous thing sometimes. But you don't see people performing miracles other than Moses, you know, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, and the disciples. It was just these three specific times in history for a certain reason. But usually in between that time, you see people praying to God, and God would do something amazing and work it out through prayer, just like what happens today. We pray and God works things out. We think, wow, the power of prayer. But uh, he was one of those few people that actually performed miracles. And we look at a guy like that and we say, he's not a person just like me. He's not. You know, there's something different about him. What God's trying to let you know is, no, he's just like you. I just had a different, God is saying, God says, I just had a different purpose for his life. I had a specific reason to use him. And he's telling you, God picked 
someone like me, like you? We have this idea like, God could never do greatness like that in my life. I'm certainly not qualified. God picked a regular guy just like you, regular person just like you, to do amazing things. So Elijah, he's just a man. Elijah was a person just like us. Here's what happened. He had this great spiritual victory. They were worshiping, the people worshiping this false god, Baal. And he was saying, no, only worship the God of the Bible. There's a controversy. So they had a contest. You know, he challenged them to a contest. He said, you guys pray to your God and ask him to send fire down from heaven and uh, burn up your offering to God. And I'll pray to my God. So then they're praying to their God. There's 400 of them. They're even cutting their bodies and doing all this crazy stuff. Praying, And of course, nothing happens, you know. And they're praying and and uh, then, and he was making fun of them, like, so where's your God? What's going on? And then he prays to God, the God of the Bible, and fire comes down from heaven, consumes his whole offering that he had to God, and consumed all theirs. It consumed both offerings, all to God. And then when the people saw this, because the people were kind of in the mix, the queen is the one that brought this religion in. It was already gone, but she kind of brought it into their country. And they were, you know, the, the country was going this direction. He was opposing the direction the country was going in. And all the bystanders were people kind of in the mix saying, who's right, who's wrong? When they saw what happened, they actually got mad at the 400 guys that were, that, that were worshiping the idol and started beating them up and chasing after them. It became like a mob against these people. You know, like they, ran, they, they chased them out of town. They ran them off. You know, like we don't want this anymore. So what happens is, it's, it, it feels like to Elijah, this is a great victory. People now know that the God of the Bible is really our God. It's not this other stuff. It's not idol worship. We're not involved in worshiping statues and stuff like this. We're worshiping God. So the creator of the universe. So he felt it like it was good. Very first thing that happens is a queen puts a price on his head. You're dead. And he gets scared after this great thing, and he runs away. And... He's, uh, you know, one minute you're a hero, the next minute you're zero. That's what he felt like. You know, after this great thing, now I'm on the bottom. You're on the mountaintop, now you're in the valley. He was at the pinnacle of success, now he's in the valley of stress, running for his life. Won it, dead or alive, Elijah. Not a good p- position to be in, because now he's trying to obey God, and now the government's against him? What did that do? See, if you're like me, one of the reasons I like to obey God is the benefits. You know, if I treat my wife the way the Bible says to, the benefit is in my marriage. I get a better marriage. If I raise my kids the way the Bible tells me to, I'm going to probably have healthier kids walking on the right path. You know, uh, there's no guarantees. But, you know, when you're doing things in the right way, you want these benefits. You're doing it when you, you know, turn the other cheek. When you, you know, treat somebody the way that you want to be treated, there's benefits to that, and we want those benefits. Here he is trying to do everything that God wants him to do, and the benefit is a price tag's on his head. They want to kill him. They want to put him in jail. He becomes a criminal in this land that he's trying to do the right thing. So let's look at what happens here. We're going to start with the consequences of burnout. The first thing that we do when we feel like giving up because I'm doing everything I can and nothing's working, we depreciate our worth. We start to devalue ourselves. We start putting ourselves down. We start becoming hypercritical of ourselves. 
Here's what happened to Elijah. 1 Kings 19.4. Elijah came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What is he saying? God, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this. Trying to do the right thing and everything goes wrong. You know, I want to give up. Why keep trying? His self-esteem has gone down. Circle the word better. I'm no better. That's a word that, what's he doing? He's comparing himself to somebody else. That's exactly what he does. That's the beginning of problems in your life when you start comparing yourself to somebody else. Because what you're going to always do is you're going to compare the thing that you're bad at with somebody that's good at it. It's just guaranteed failure. And you come out feeling worse. You know, that person's doing the same thing to you. It's like, man, why can't I sing like her? And she's saying, why don't, and she's feeling bad about herself. Why can't I make good grades like her? You know what I'm saying? They're both envious of each other, but they're both comparing their weaknesses to the other person's strength, and they both walk away feeling like a loser. And that's what we do. And you don't want to walk away feeling like a loser. You don't want to lose your self-worth. That's exactly what he's doing. He's comparing himself to his ancestors. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm a loser. Everything's not going the way that it should have gone. The second thing that we do is we underrate our work. In 1 Kings 19.10, he says, I have worked very hard for the Lord of the heavens. He's saying, look at all I've been doing. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, have torn down your altars. He's blaming himself for what they did. He says, I'm working so hard for you, and why aren't I getting results? See, the thing is, when God calls you to do something, you can't be responsible for the results of what other people do. God told me to raise my kid in a certain way, but ultimately, he has to choose whether or not he's going to follow it. You can't make somebody do something. You say, well, if you raised a kid right, he'd be on the right path. Do you know the story of the prodigal son? It's a story of God. God's the father in the story, and the prodigal son is us. And it says the father who raised that kid, the kid got to a point that he wanted to go on his own in the world. And the kid did all this horrible stuff. So I guess God's a horrible father. Look at what his son did. All right? If you believe that way, then you're saying, God, what kind of a father are you? Who was the only father to Adam? God. What did Adam do? Sin. God, what a horrible father you are. See, you can't blame the parents for the decisions a kid makes. See, we get it mixed up. I am responsible to you. I'm not responsible for you. Does that make sense? The same way with the kids, with anybody. We're responsible to one another. We're not responsible for one another. Even your own kids, you're responsible to them, but you're not responsible for them. Once you try to be responsible for them, you know what's going to happen? All of a sudden, you're going to have a bunch of kids that won't be responsible for themselves. That's the exact opposite of what you want. Get a bunch of kids that aren't responsible for themselves, and what kind of world do we have? So, it's important to realize you cannot be Atlas. You know the story of Atlas? Atlas carries the world on his shoulders. And you're feeling like, I'm carrying the world on my shoulders. You're not. And you can't. There's a lot of things that you take responsibility for that you shouldn't. And it builds stress. Because you can't take responsibility for what other people do. You can't take responsibility for just what happens in life. Life happens. It's like the Messiah syndrome. 
I've got to save everybody. I've got to save them. I've got to save them. I'm saying you can't. You can influence them. You can encourage them. But you can't save the world. I'm not God. You're not God. But what happens is we do this. We underrate our work. We, we have it in our mind that we base everything on the results of what people are doing. And sometimes the results aren't going to go the way you want it to go. You're, you know what God's looking at? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you being the influence that you're supposed to be? And then with that other person, he's saying, are you listening? Or whatever. But that's not your responsibility. You can't do those things. That's exactly what he was doing. He's taken all the blame, which means all the stress is on him because he sees the results. Obviously, I'm the loser prophet, right? Because there are some prophets in the Bible that people rallied around. He happened to be the one that did the most miracles, and they were turned their back on him. Apparently, I'm the loser, comparing myself to other people, comparing myself to the way that old people did it in the old days. They were having success. What's wrong with me? God's saying, you, of course you're going to burn out. Of course you're going to give up. Of course you're going to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Because you're taking on responsibility that you have no business taking on. The third thing is we exaggerate the problem. We focus on the negative and we make it worse than what it was. In 1 Kings 19, 10, the second half of that verse, it says, I am the only one left and they're trying to kill me. What we do is, God, I'm the only one following you. Everybody's left. We're exaggerating. You know what the truth of the matter was? There were over 7,000 prophets. Let me explain the word prophet. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We hear the word prophet, and we think that means people that tell the future. That's not what the word means. A prophet is someone that proclaims God's word. Very few people in the Bible have this gift where they could tell the future. It hardly ever happened. Very few people. A prophet is someone that proclaims the word of God. It's like pre what I'm doing right now. If we were to say it in English, it's the word preacher. He's preaching the word of God. You know, he's proclaiming God's word to people. So there, it says that there were 7,000 prophets, people that preached the word of God to people, that were still faithful to God. 7,000. That does not sound like I'm the only one left. Nobody cares but me. But that's what we start doing. That's what we start doing is when we get to burnout. We just exaggerate the problem. It's so worse than what, it, than what it really was. It's like that guy, Bobby, this uh, guy named Bobby, his uh, mom was trying to get him to go to church. Bobby, you have to get up and go to church. Mom, I don't want to go to church. Bobby, get up. We have to go to church. Mom, I don't like that place. The people there don't even like me. Why would I go to church where people don't like you? You have to get up and go to church. He said, give me one good reason. I'll give you two good reasons. One, you're acting like a child and you're 45 years old. <laughs> and two, you're the pastor. Go to church. <laughs> Sometimes we make things way worse than what it actually is. The problem is we get emotional. And emotional reasoning can really lead you down the wrong path. You know, you get emotional and you say... Have you ever met, because I'm in athletics a lot, but I've seen this a lot with people. Have you met athletes or, mo uh, or performers or musicians, and you go and watch them, and you think, wow, they did really good. What a great job. And you go talk to them afterwards, and they're bummed out. Like they think they did horrible. 
and you're thinking, I don't know what they're thinking, but she's saying really good. Or he had a great game. I don't know what he's thinking. Have you noticed that? What is it? Because sometimes we can be so critical. Maybe we did something wrong, and in our mind we placed it much bigger than it was, but everybody else is watching and thinking, what a great game. Or maybe we feel like we hit a note that wasn't quite white quite right, and everybody watching thought everything went great. But we can just be super critical about ourselves and end up being miserable about something that everybody's actually happy about it. They're praising you. They're clapping. They thought it was a good thing. So you can't go by your feelings. Sometimes your feelings can be based on something else. A performer could actually be feeling that way, and the real issue is they didn't get a good night's sleep. So they were already kind of in a... Have you ever not gotten a good night's sleep and you're kind of in a funk that day and you feel like things aren't going too well, but nobody else seems to tell? They, they actually think everything was great. Oh, you did great. But it's your own feelings that mess you up because it's not based on the truth. When my wife and I got married, I can remember it was the first or second day and we were talking. You probably remember this. And um, in that conversation, I thought, you know... I, you know, you go through the wedding ceremony and everything, and I say, I know we're married, but I don't, I don't feel like we're married. It's just, you know, but just, and she let me know that I'm married. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you feel. We went through the ceremony. We were married. Have you ever had those feelings? It doesn't matter what you feel. It's not the truth. Therapists will tell you, get in touch with your emotions, and that's good. That is good. But notice how the Bible never says, know your feelings and your feelings will set you free. It says, know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you have to, good to be in touch with your feelings, but you need to know the truth. That's what you base your life on. What's the truth here? Otherwise, you look at your circumstances and you're going to have horrible feelings. And you're going to look at it and say, there's no way this is going to turn around. And I'm going to tell you what happens. When I start feeling I can't turn it around, I want to give up. If you really feel that way, you want to give up. You want to quit. You don't want to try anymore. And it's going to get worse, guaranteed. But if you go by the truth, and the truth is, man, with God, I can turn this around because that's the truth. With God, is that true? With God, can you turn it around? With God, can that marriage turn around? With God, can that job situation turn around? That's the truth. With God, this can turn around. So what do you do? You keep trying. You keep going for it. And now it actually has a chance to turn around. One way is guaranteed it's not going to work. But when you believe the truth, there is a chance. You might think it's hopeless, but it's not because God's bigger than that. The fourth thing that we do is we advocate our dreams. This is the most serious one because when you want to you just... Because of what you're going through, you want to give up on your dreams. You start thinking it's not worth it. I just want to throw my top, the towel in, give up on this vision. I'm just going to settle for second best. I'm just going to settle because, oh, I'm burned out. Nothing's happening great. It's, it's just over. I'm just going to settle. Here's what 1 Kings 19.4 says. He prayed that he might die because he wanted to give up. I have had enough, Lord. That's what he said. Some of you feel like that today. It could be in your marriage. It could be with a job. It could be with a dream that you have, whatever it is. That's a sign that you're burning out. You might not be burned out all the way yet, but that's a sign that you're burning out. 
So what's the cure? How can we prevent from burning out? How can we get health back? Well, the first thing that you have to do, and it's in your notes there, rest. It starts by resting your body. Is that interesting? The very first thing that God does when you're burning out is he says, you need, to, you need some rest. Look at 1 Kings 19, 5 and 8, 5 through 8. Elijah, it says, he laid down and fell asleep. Then the angel said, get up and eat. He ate and drank and then laid down again. Then the angel said, get up and eat again, for the journey is too much for you. God's antidote to your stress. He says, when you feel burned out, all that stress, all that emotion, the first thing that it's going to attack you is physically. Physically. You're all stressed out and everything. And he's saying, if you want health, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is read the Bible for five hours. No, that's not what the answer was. He said, get, something, get a good meal, good healthy meal, and get some rest. He woke up, get another good healthy meal, meal get some rest. Isn't that an inter interesting God's spiritual solution to your problem? But we see it all the time. Have you ever, ever been so stressed out about something, and then you go home and you finally get a good night's sleep, and you wake up the next day, and that problem doesn't feel as bad as it did the night before? Because you rest it. Some of it is you just have to physically recover. Some people, the main thing that would start turning your emotions around is just starting to eat healthy and get enough sleep because you're just worn out. And you're worn out so much you're not going to think clear. And it's going to affect your emotions in a negative way. So God starts with a very practical thing. Eat well. Get some good sleep. Now that you've rested up, now we can get through this. Now you're at a state where you're phys physically relaxed enough and rested enough that you can actually deal with your problem. But I'm telling you, when you're worn out, you want to run from your problem. You want to. When I'm worn out, I want to run from my problems. When I'm rested up and relaxed and recovered and I ate well, okay, let's go. I can deal with this now. He started with the physical. In Psalms 127, verse 2, it says, God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. That's in the Bible. What it's saying is, I love you so much, I want you to take a nap. Is that funny? Don't we do this with our kids? I know my, my daughter, she's now three years old, so she's at this stage now. Hey, you need to take a nap. I don't want to take a nap. She's at that age now. And what I'm saying to her is this. Dad wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. I know she needs a nap. I'm telling her to take a, a nap because dad wants his loved ones to have proper rest. That's what God says to you and I. Sometimes we're that rebellious three-year-old saying, God, I can't rest. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And God is saying, go to bed. Just go to bed. Vince Lombardi said, the great coach for the Green Bay Packers, fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Talking about football. And of course, you have some pretty mean, gruesome-looking football players that when they start getting tired, they start becoming babies. You know, you get tired. You get the guy tired. You wear that guy out. All of a sudden, he's not playing like he can. He's not that mean brute that he was at the beginning of the game. So I think, you know, when you get tired, it's going to turn you into a coward. You're not going to be that man or that woman that you're supposed to be. So we need rest. It's something that we have to have for our health. 
So God first focuses on him physically. He needs to recover and rest. Then I can deal with his emotions. If I try to deal with his emotions right now, it'd just be a waste of time. Because there's, there's other factors that are affecting it. He gets his rest. And then here's what God does. Second thing is he deals with his emotions. In verse 9 and 10, there he went into a cave and spent the night. God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, but... And then he starts unloading on God. He just starts throwing all of his... He's venting all of his frustrations on God. That's fine for God. God can handle that. See, Elijah was really an emotional basket, basket case at this time. In verse 3, he talks about his emotions. In verse 4, it talks about how he was afraid and resentful. Um, verse 10 talks about him having low self-esteem and anger and lonely, worried. So think about this. He's afraid, resentful, low self-esteem, angry, lonely, worried. He's burned out. He's burned out. There's a lot on him, and he's feeling this so deeply, he doesn't want to continue on. He wants to stop doing what he originally was called to do with his life. I'm just, I'm just worn out, God. I'm just worn out. So God allows him to vent. God allows him to share all of his frustration. You're allowed to get angry. You can go to God and say, life stinks. You're allowed to get angry at God and tell him all about it. God, if you love me, then why did you let me go through this? And you know what? God's big enough to handle it. Now, if I get all my frustrations and bend it up, and I want to dump it all on my wife or dump it all on a kid or a friend, it's probably too much. People are going to say, oh, you know, I'm too much. I'm going to get away from this person. I can't handle all this. But God's big enough. You can tell God that you're angry and you're hurt. You can, you can get it all out to God. He's big enough to handle it. He wants you to be able to get it out. And he's a proper source that you can talk to. He's going to bring healing in your life even through it. Because as you're talking to him, you're going to also come to the conclusion, wait a minute, this guy can help me. If there's anybody that can help me through this, it's him. I'm at the end, but if there's any way that I'm going to get a chance, he's the one that can get me through this. Have you ever noticed in the book of Psalms, you read those Psalms and some of the crazy things that David says when he talks emotionally, like God... I hate these guys. Just kill them. Like, okay, wait a minute. Uh, this doesn't sound very Christian to me right now. Why would that be in the Bible? What is God saying? God's saying, I'm not mad at you for having feelings. And you can share those feelings with me anytime you want to. We need to know that. Like, okay. So I'm not the only one that gets so angry that I feel like this. I'm not like the loser Christian because I have real emotions. And everybody else is happy. But that's what we think. You're allowed to go to God. It's a whole, you know, it's, uh, the book of Psalms talks about every single emotion that you can probably imagine is in the book of Psalms because God's trying to let you know it's okay to feel that way. Talk to me about it. Let it out. I'm your friend. I'm not going to turn my back on you because of your frustrations. I'm not going to turn my back on you because you feel like it's my fault. In fact, here's how 1 Peter says it. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. What does that mean? Cast all your cares on him. Does that include your frustrations? Does that include when you're angry? Does that include your burdens? Does that include when you fall down in the dumps? Does that include when you feel like he let you down? Does that include when he, you feel like somebody else let you down? It says cast all. What does the word all mean? 
All means all. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. God is saying, it's safe to come to me. It's not safe and wise to cast all your cares on everybody. But it's safe and wise. You can cast your cares on God. The third thing he says is, the third thing that God did, so first of all, God works on him physically, getting him healthy. Then he starts working on his emotions, getting it out, getting it out. In that process, it leads to the third thing, which is to refocus on God. Because now what's happening is because he's going to God, he's getting his eyes off of his problem in the process and starting to get his eyes on God. And you start getting a fresh awareness of who God is, his power, his presence, what he can do. You know, when you look at the world, you get distressed. When you look within, you get depressed. But when you look at Christ, that's when you get rest. So he's looking at Christ. He's taking it to God, and he's going to start getting rest. He's going to start seeing, wait a minute, God can do this. And God does this, this spectacular show for Elijah. He takes him outside of the cave that he's hanging out in, and he shows him this great big wind. I don't know what it is, maybe a tornado or something, but this great big wind, it says. Then an earthquake, and it says the whole ground was shaking and everything. And this great fire came down, and he's doing all these powerful things. And then God speaks to him in a gentle voice. What's the significance of this? God is saying, you think your problems are too big. You don't think I can take care of your problems? Let me show you how big I am. He has this wind, like, and he's like, whoa. And then he has this uh, earthquake. And then he has this fire coming down. And you know what? I think Elijah is scared to death. And he speaks to Elijah gently. And what does Elijah see? Oh, God's the most powerful being in the world. But he's gentle to me. If you saw the most powerful being in the world, what's your number one fear? What if he's not gentle to me? Right? Because when someone has that much power, if they're not gentle, you're doomed. You know, but he's gentle. He speaks to him gently. That's God's love for you. God wants you to know, your problems aren't that big for me. I have the power to handle them. And even with all this great power, you don't have to be afraid of me because I speak to you gently. I love you. I care about you. And then Elijah starts to get it. Elijah starts to realize, wait a minute. Why am I afraid of this woman? Doesn't it make sense? That, like now that you're emotionally at the right state, what she did is she sent a messenger to tell him, I'm going to kill you. If you're in an emotional right state, you say, wait a minute. If she was serious about killing me, would she send a messenger or a hitman? Right? When you're emotionally not well, you're not getting enough sleep and everything, you get freaked out by something. But when you're emotionally stable and everything, you see it in a different perspective. You think, she's scared to death of me. She just saw what happened. She's scared of this God. She's trying to bluff me. I'm going to kill you. Why didn't she send a hitman? Because she's afraid that God's going to do the same thing to her that she just saw. So she's so scared of him that she has to bluff. And he's so emotionally worn out and worn down that he takes the bluff and gets scared and runs. There's a reason she sent a messenger. She's afraid of him. She would have just sent people to go kill him. But she didn't. God's demonstrating this power to him so he realizes, 
why am I afraid of this woman? What am I so afraid of? Look at what God did back then. Look at what God did right now. When I'm in God's hands, I'm in good hands. And then his faith starts to come back. See, the root problem to burnout is, in his case, he was trying to be God. He was trying to make everything work on his own. And he had to realize, that God be God. I'm not Superman. I'm going to let God do his thing. God never intended me to take that on myself. He always wants to be God. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to trust him. Let him take the power role to do whatever he has to do. So he started focusing on God's power, and then all of a sudden his problems are really small. No matter how big your problem is, it gets small the more you see God. In Proverbs 14, 16, it says, Reverence for God gives a man deep strength. If you want a deep strength, revere God. Have reverence for God. Rely on Him. You know, on my own, I might not be strong enough to, to deal with this issue. But with God, He's big enough. And I have a deep strength when I revere Him, when I have reverence for Him, when I believe in Him, when I trust in Him, when I have respect for Him, when I believe what He can do, all of a sudden, things seem better. This is one of the reasons why I encourage people to always try to make that habit to have that daily time with God where you can just read the Bible and pray and stuff because it, it's that constant reminder of who God is and His power and His greatness in your life. And it builds your faith. It builds your faith so that you can have reverence for the Lord and He'll give you strength. Then the fourth thing they did was resume serving others. God said, you've got to get back out there and start serving now. So he started with them physically. Get some sleep, get some rest, get recovered physically. Then he dealt with his emotions. Then he dealt with him spiritually. Got him right with God. Okay, my eyes are on God now. Then he says, okay, go back to work. Why do you need to go back to work? Because if you don't go back to work, you start focusing on your problems again. And God is saying, you need to see people with problems bigger than yours. You think your problems are so bad. You need to see people with problems bigger than yours, and you need to go help them. And then you'll come back thankful. Like, wow, my life isn't as bad as it could be. So you get your focus off yourself. Look at 1 Kings 19, 15 and 16. Go back the way you came to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael and Jehu and Elisha. So you go, what he's saying is, get back to work. Get back out there and be a, start being a prophet again. Start doing your work, get, which is helping people. Get back out there. Get back out there going. When he did this, there was another thing that happened. Elisha became his best friend. And from that point on in ministry, he quit being the lone ranger minister. He was before. Remember, there's 7,000 prophets for God. Why is he doing it alone? Why is he trying to be Superman? I've got this handle. I can do it myself. So now he has a friend, and it changes everything. He's got a partner working with him. That's one of the ways to prevent from getting burned out, is don't be the lone ranger. Have a partner. Have a support group. If you're struggling in your marriage, find people that can support you in your marriage, you know, to give you encouragement and stuff. If you're struggling with a job, find people that can support you. It helps to have other people with you. It's when you feel like you're all alone that it creates faster burnout. But just the support from other people changes everything. You need to get your eyes off yourself. Start seeing other people. Get back to work. Start doing your ministry again. So it's no longer me thinking about, my needs and my hurts and how I'm tired, I start seeing that person's needs and their hurts and how they're struggling. And then it puts me in a position to minister to them. 
God says, get your eyes off yourself, Elijah. Get back to work. Start helping people. Start doing the things that a minister is supposed to do, that a prophet is supposed to do. The quickest way to get rid of depression is to get back involved in helping other people. We're going to the Long Beach Mission on, I think it's in the bulletin, but uh, if you're interested, you can put on your connection card LB, and I'll get you the information on it. But we're going to go to the Long Beach Mission in a couple weeks. And um, it's a great way. It's a, it's a simple and great way to help people that really have big needs. And when you go there, it, does, it wakes you up. It says, you know what? There are people hurting here. And it gets your head and mind in the right direction. It prevents people, when you're helping that way, it prevents me, I know, from being self-absorbed. Because now I'm looking at people with bigger needs and I want to help them. So God gets them physically on the right track, then emotionally, then spiritually. And now it's relationally. It's how he's relating to other people. He's got a friend working with him, that's Elisha, and he's ministering to the needs of other people. What happens? His depression goes. His discouragement goes. He's no longer down in the dumps. He's now being the man that God wanted him to be all along. But there's a way that he got there. We can all get there that way. You might be here today, and you'd say, I know for me why I'm feeling, starting to feel burned out is I'm just not getting a lot, enough rest. It might just be that one thing. It could be a combination. And what I'm saying is, get enough rest. It might just be that. If you just start getting enough rest, what happens? For you, it might say, for my, my case is, I've got some emotions that are not dealt with. I'm saying take those emotions to God, let it out, and you might need professional help too. You know, there's some people out there that can really help you to talk and get out off your chest. There's professionals there uh, that can really make an impact on your life. But what I'm saying is deal with your emotions. Deal with it. Work through those emotions. Because for some people, if you work through your emotions, you're going to feel healthy again. For some of you, it's spiritual. You say, I think I'm burnt out because I don't spend any time with God. I can't remember the last time I just sat down and read the Bible and just prayed. Some of you, it's spiritual. You burn out because you don't have any spiritual time with God. For some of you, that one change would lift you up and you'd be okay. Just getting God back in your life on a regular basis. You might go to church, you might be a Christian, but it doesn't mean that God's active in your life. And I'm talking about spending time with Him. And some people, it's relational. I'm so self-consumed with my problems, and what I really need to do is go out there and help others. If I was helping others and... I would say my problems are nothing after what I've seen. Some people, that's the only thing. That one thing would change your whole life around. And then you'd say, wow, I'm out of that. I, I don't feel burned out now. I feel very thankful. There's a lot of things that we can be very thankful for, but we don't feel thankful because we're comparing ourselves to the wrong people. And we need to compare ourselves to, I mean, let's get out there and use our gifts and talents. There's people that are really suffering and it brings you joy to help them, but it also makes you thankful that for the things that you have, for the things that you do have, because there are people that don't have anything. They're really hurting. In this country, I've seen it around the world even worse, but even like I said, going to the homeless, uh, the, the Long Beach Mission, it's, it's, ama it's um, amazing what you see there, and this is in our country. You think poverty at that level right here when you start caring about other people, all of a sudden it helps you not to be so uh, self-consumed. 
I read this. He said, as everyday stress increases, so do aches and pains. And it was this thing talking about this group of psychiatrists and doctors. They got together and they discovered these 22 items that they said they tested out that they proved, according to them, creates stress in our life to a point where people have headaches and muscle pain and ulcers and all this. And it's not because there's anything physically wrong with them. It's stress-related. It's called the Hassel Scale. And it says, on it, they said that they determined that in their studies that the average American struggles between, the average American is four to five of them in their life. And that's enough to cause stress in a negative way. So they're saying the average American has negative stress in their life that's affecting their bodies physically in a, in a wrong way. So I just thought that that's interesting. Then I look back at that definition of burnout, a state of emotional frustration brought about by a devotion to a cause, lifestyle, and a relationship that has failed to produce the expected rewards. And I think, how many people have gone through that? And of course they have all these uh, problems that they're talking about when they go through that. So we live in a time and a world where the majority of us in this room have too much stress. It's too much. The majority of us are, have some sicknesses and pain, physical feeling pain, due to stress, like headaches, stuff like that. And it's stress-related. If the stress wasn't there, you wouldn't have had that headache. The majority of us are going through that on a somewhat regular basis based on these studies. What it tells me is one of the issues is we allow certain things to be too important. Make sure that God is on the throne of your life. What happens is you get this cause that you believe in that's good, and you put that cause on the throne of your life, and then you go for it, and when things don't happen the way it, it's supposed to, because that's on the throne, that becomes the master of your life, and things don't work out the way it, it's supposed to, and it devastates you, and you burn out. It could be a cause. It could be a person. It could be, you know... A lifestyle thing. You want to make sure what's in the throne of your life. God, put God in the throne of your life. Put God where he's number one. More than anything, everything else is nothing compared to him. And you still work hard on those things that you have. But let God be number one. Because I think what happens is we allow other things, good things, to get on that throne. And when it doesn't work out the way we wanted it to, we're so devastated we can't recover. And we throw in the towel and we give up, and we want to die. We feel like, hey, I just want to die. I don't want life like this anymore. When you keep Jesus on the throne of your life, keep him number one, you'll never reach that point. You'll never reach that point. You'll go through hard times. You'll feel depressed about things that happen, but you won't ever reach that point where I'm just, I, I don't want to go anymore. I'm dead. I'm dead. I want to die. You know, I've reached that point before. There was a point in my life that I didn't allow God to stay in the throne of my life. And what I went through devastated me so much that I, my dream was to die that night. I just wish I could go to bed, die, and never wake up again. I felt so devastated. And I think, well, what cured me? How did I get cured? Well, first of all, I went to sleep that night. That was a start. <laughs> I started trying to take care of my body, you know, eating right and healthy because I was so stressed out and just trying to get enough sleep. Secondly, I try to deal with my emotions in the right way to, with God and getting the proper help uh, from a dear friend of mine that really helped me. And then I, I worked on the emotional part. I tried to get my spiritual life in line. I tried to, you know, I, at, at first I couldn't connect with God because of how I was feeling, so I would use music, Christian songs, 
because somehow they could bypass my mind, in a sense, and get to the heart. I start with Christian songs, and then I start reading the book of Psalms, because that made sense to me, because it was saying, kill this guy, kill this guy, and I liked that at the time. <laughs> so I start reading the book of Psalms, and then um, I started uh, reading the, more of the Bible, and I start getting my spiritual life in act, you know, so I was getting to where I needed to, and what did I do? And then I started serving. I started helping other people again. I started doing what I was supposed to do, caring about other people instead of myself. And you know what? I got healed. I got healed. It works. The same thing that healed Elijah is the same thing that healed me. It's the same thing that heals us all. All we have to do is practice it. Do what he says, and it will get you through whatever you're going through. So I want to lead us in a prayer. And if you're feeling burned out, make this your prayer. Maybe you're here as we're praying. Maybe in your situation, you would say you need rest. Pray this to the Lord. Dear God, I'm feeling burned out. I need rest, God. I just need a chance to just take care of my body a bit and just to recover. And Lord, I'm going to make a commitment right now to work up my schedule to get the sleep I need and to get the rest I need to recover so I can start getting on a track of health again. As we continue to pray, maybe you're here today and yours is emotional. You've been beat up emotionally. There's things that have happened in your life and you need to vent it and you need help. Make this your prayer. Lord, I'm burning out because of how I'm feeling emotionally. And Lord, I'm making a commitment to get my emotions out with you and get the proper help that I need, the proper support group that I need so that I can get through these emotions and become a healthy person again. I don't want to burn out. Maybe to you it's spiritual. You need to pray something like this along with me. Dear God, I'm burning out because I don't have time with you. I know about you, but I don't feel like I know you right now. I feel like I'm not having that relationship with you that I need to have. So, Lord, I'm making a commitment right now to keep coming to church, but also to develop that prayer time on a daily basis and start reading the Bible and, and even Christian books that can help me get healthy again so I don't burn out. Maybe for some of you, it's because you just need to start serving. You, you're so self-consumed with yourself that you don't care about other people. And maybe you need to just step up and start going out to helping other people. Pray this along with me silently if that's you. Dear Lord, I am self-consumed. I'm all about me and I'm not thinking about others. So Lord, I'm making a commitment that I'm going to start using my gifts and talents to serve those that are less fortunate than me. I'm going to find a way to reach out and help others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that cares about our real needs. We go through some tough things in life, and we all do. And I'm just super, super thankful that God makes it so clear in his word how to get through those times. They, they knock us down. You agree? Have you all been knocked down? But we don't have to stay down. You know, when a boxer gets knocked down, is the fight over? No. As long as he's not knocked out. And we get knocked down. But I want us to be a church that knows God. He wants to help us out. We're going to still win the fight. Okay, I got knocked down. But I'm still going to win this fight. 